what awaits us when we wander into the ways, the wonders, and wilds of the weird. Where magic is real. Where within deep mystery our mind steals. And where the very fabric of reality begins to peel. From haunting ghosts to Freemason gridlines. From malevolent entities to geopathic ley lines. This intuitive investigation case dances on the very edges of belief and reality. Withhold all that you believe and think that you know. And open your mind to join me as we investigate and explore these wonderful wonderings and so much more in this The Quantum Wizardry Podcast. The nature of tonight's episode discusses and explores experiences concerning death, the supernatural, and topics that may be inappropriate for a younger and more sensitive audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, one and all, to this, the final episode of Case 1, Season 1 of The Quantum wizardry podcast happy to have you back and to bring things together thus far we've discussed a lot a case that seemingly was just about ghosts had so much more happening beneath the surface now when we really first started this case what had brought me to this place to this investigation was the presence of a ghost a disincarnate entity its effect that it had on the previous manager of the hotel itself, and ultimately my intention in going into these types of experiences is to free and to liberate that energy that it may be reintegrated uh, in creation itself. Now, things were affecting it though. As I stayed at the hotel and began my investigation, a couple of things really came forward. One was that the ghost that everyone thought was there mistakenly identified as Lady Lisa, was indeed somebody else. Two, the energy of this entity was one that was incredibly volatile and had a direct effect upon those who were there, particularly anyone who was held in that energy for long periods of time, consistently over time. Three, experiencing some kind of barrier, something that actually kept the energy stuck, not just this single entity, the two others as well. Four, that there was something that was affecting this energy, not just amplification, which was experienced within the container that existed, also something else that I couldn't quite put my finger upon, metaphysically, and was there nonetheless in the very land beneath the hotel. Now, this led into a deeper dive, not just through the boundaries and the walls, the brick and the mortar of the hotel itself. It also went into the potential energetic or bioelectric grid lines that were created. It also went into the lay energies that existed, going into the history of the Ohlone people and tracing it back to the dawn of creation, Tushtak, otherwise known as Mount Diablo. Now, with all of these parts and pieces together, seemingly 
separate, all had an influence upon what was happening at the hotel itself, what was affecting and influencing the ghosts themselves, and is still present to this very day. Now, last episode, we finished by driving back from Tushtak, Mount Diablo, really sitting with all of the things that had happened from the synchronicities of experiencing the rattlesnakes, the sight of the condors flying overhead, feeling into the energy itself and really having a very visceral sensation. I mean, the hairs on my arms were standing up with the amount of energy that was being emanated from this place. Now, Diving a little bit deeper once I got back into San Francisco in terms of the history of the Ohlone people, what had happened there during the period around 1850 and there on in terms of ultimately the genocide of the people there. The history of the mythology of the mountain itself and really having a better feel in terms of all of these factors that were, as I'd mentioned, like being downstream from a mountain river, were being washed down into the city itself. Now, this was really interesting because my sensations of being there at Tushtak was not just one of a bodily sensation, not just one of synchronicities. There was a deep knowing, a sadness, an awareness that existed that was very much at the time I was in communication with. And that just vastness, the magnitude of energy, as we're talking about with ley lines and specifically these energetic nodes, are access points. These are points where more energy just naturally radiates. Very much like we're talking about previously with the nervous system of the body, this very much is the nervous system of the planet itself. And so this was a power point, a hub of energy that was pouring that electromagnetic resonance and frequency out into the world. And when we look at these areas, we'll often find this is a spot that many indigenous peoples have found themselves at. It's an awareness that is held really by the keepers of this direct connection to the planet itself, and I would say consciousness at large. And so in experiencing that, that was a factor because this meant that the areas surrounding it, very much like a Wi-Fi hotspot, right? The closer you are to the point, the more, the more you're able to tap in. The better your reception is, the faster your downloads will be. Those that are a little further apart then inevitably is going to have a little less of that energy unless it is something that can be harvested. Now, think of a hotspot point, and perhaps in your house you have a booster, right? From that, um, from that modem, you have another, another device that's able to bounce that signal so that you may have greater access even though you're further away. Now, as I began to really sit with all of this, then driving back to San Francisco, the need and desire for a grid started to become more clear because you can actually achieve this by creating 
something that is able to receive and then ultimately boost that signal. And so heading back and starting to dive into that in terms of just really the feel sense and the sensations of my experience on the mountain, things started to click. Connections were made in terms of what we discussed two episodes back, specifically about the bioelectric grid and the grid lines that were seemingly created, potentially constructed by the Freemasons upon you know, 1851-ish and thereafter. So the thing about that is, is how does all of this then tie, if at all, back to the Hotel Majestic? Well, when you have something like a ley line node, it means that there's more energy that anyone and everyone can tap into. You know, more day to day, you might see things um, growing there. You may have plants or animals, people gathering in those areas. You know, further away from that spot, you may have things where you may see temples or churches. And in this case, missions that were created back in the mid 1800s, as well as looking at the actual settlements that are in proximity. Now, one thing to point out is that the energy and the amount of energy coming out from Tushtak was pretty incredible. Now, when you have a node like this, sometimes it can be more than your everyday average person is able to handle. And so you'll see settlements around in a circumference surrounding these points. And generally speaking, you'll have then priests or shaman or those who are practitioners of spirituality who will effectively utilize this as a temple of sorts. And so as that really started to come into my awareness in terms of how this energy could be potentially harvested as well as harnessed by the grid that exists to this day in San Francisco, then things began to become more clear. Why a grid may be necessary if you have a gathering of people that you want to be able to then utilize this almost as a battery because it really is it's a power source it's something that can be accessed and creating a grid then in proximity especially if the town or in this case city was a little further away would then allow that energy to be collected and then really created from now as i really started to dive a little bit more deeply having gone through you know this threefold aspect of my investigations one just purely uh, subtle and focusing upon more of that intuitive aspect two then doing something to follow up to confirm those energies through a direct experience and then three following up and shifting now more into an intellectual aspect which in this case upon arrival back in san francisco was deep diving into the history of the city itself now, this inevitably led, then, to finding out about the history of the Ohlone people and how in the 1840s, 1850s, there was a push to really remove the indigenous people so that development could be continued. Now, this inevitably, aside from the fact of the 
the, the morality of this act, of the genocide of a people, inevitably leads to and leaves an energetic imprint. Now, this energy, in this case, death, and not just death, murder, was one that left in this more abundant ley line energy source, the flows of the energy coming from Tushtak, then created a bit of a taint. Now, Tushtak was known as the dawn of creation. It was held within the mythology as a point where creation took place. Now, when we have an energy, we inevitably have a spectrum of that energy. One energy has a counterbalance or a polarized opposite energy. On the opposite end of creation is destruction. So as I began to connect with that in terms of piecing these different aspects and the potential relationship that these factors may or may not have with the ghosts held at the Hotel Majestic, things really started to become more clear. Right? One, there is an abundant energy source of creation that is flowing from Tushtak and is crossing through the city of San Francisco. Two, a grid was created to harness and to harvest the energies that were flowing down to act as a booster for the city itself. Three, this is indiscriminate. It just boosts things and creates a structure of bioelectric frequency that can be utilized in any which way and at the same time pools the energy that is dominant within that ley line flow. Next, the happenings of the genocide of the Ohlone people, the indigenous people of that area, created an energy that was more related to what is known as entropy, the natural decay of dot dot dot. Five, that within the boundaries of where the grid may end on California Avenue, everything on the other side or outside of that grid will hold the natural energy that is being harvested or harnessed in that area. Six, the fires of San Francisco, both in 1851 and again in 1906, were a purifying agent to cleanse the energy of a very specific part of San Francisco, which, again, because of the boundaries, the container, the barrier that exists, would, on the opposite side, everything outside of that container, would then be amplified, would be augmented, and would hold the authentic energy, in this case, entropy, decay, death, in that area itself. So looking at the ghosts, right? We have three disincarnate entities who are still, to this day, stuck in the Hotel Majestic because there is a barrier that prohibits their departure, their transition. They are stronger than typically you would find with ghosts perhaps held out in other areas, not subject to these different influences. They are effectively unable to transition and also the primary or the most dominant and prominent figure 
the woman who in 1908 ended up committing suicide in the Hotel Majestic itself, holds a stronger level, a broader, more vast, energetic experience and signature than you would typically find. And again, anything like this, when you have an entity, it takes an abundance of energy to actually affect the physical atomic world. However, in the week that I was there, three major incidents, incidences seemingly unrelated had happened. The fritz and the glitch of the video camera, the actual breaking of an effect upon the elevator, and the continued demagnification of my key cards were all things that were happening that was showing an influence upon the physical world. And that takes a lot of energy. One of those instances in and of itself is one thing. All three of them happening, as well as other things, yet all three of those things happening within the span of a four-slash-five-day experience takes a lot of energy energy. So this entity had a source of energy that she was able to access and to utilize in a way that affected and influenced my personal experience as well as others. So tainted by the energy of decay, augmented by the barrier and the boundaries of the grid, plugging into the sensations of the lay energy itself and utilizing those factors to create more power and ultimately effect upon the physical world were all parts that contributed to the experience at the Majestic. Now, having gone through that aspect of research, looking at laying over map over map, looking at the indigenous tribes, where their settlements were, crossing that against the presence of the missions, looking at then the removal and ultimately decimation of the local population, at which it was, I think, somewhere around 16,000 people were killed in that process. And then really seeing how all of that tied into the fires in both 1851 as well as in 1906. Well, suffice to say, I had a lot more than I had anticipated on my plate. Now, all of this is for null if the entities themselves do not want to transition. Knowing all this, though, allows me to better sense into what would it take to be able to bypass the energetic barrier of the grid, to be able to potentially even tap into the energies of the ley lines to support in the transition of these three entities. Now back to these entities, the primary we'll call E didn't want to go. In fact, she seemed pretty pissed that I was there and even more so that I was attentive to her and the fact that she was exhibiting a certain level of control over the other two. Now the other two at a much lesser uh, experience or rather energy in this case were as far as I could tell wanting to move on and wanting to transition felt stuck and with that then came an interesting dichotomy between the dominant energetic entity 
in this case E, and this is the woman again in 1908 who had committed suicide in the Hotel Majestic. And as a side note, when we go through our process of transition, the emotions that we are feeling and experiencing is held in death. You know, as above, so below, as within, so without. We transition with those energies and in death continues to grow and ultimately can distort the being that had transitioned in the first place. Now, for Lady Lisa, she was different. This was her happy place as she was growing up, and this was still a place that she experienced that level of happiness. However, she also could experience the energy of the anger, the sadness, the bitterness that both other entities had been holding. Now, the last entity, the weakest of the three, was the previous manager. And as mentioned, he both lived and worked at the hotel itself. And so he was held in that resonant frequency 24-7. And if you think about if you had to sit beneath a fluorescent light all day and all night and to hear that buzz, which is about 60 hertz, a 60 hertz frequency, if you had to hear that, if you had to feel that, if you had to experience that for the entirety of your day, and the totality of your life, well, that would have an experience. That would have an impact. That would have an influence on your mental health, your emotional well-being, and ultimately, even your physical body. Now, what was left, having all of this information, was to confront E, the primary entity. Having already experienced all of those things, the camera, the elevator, which by the way was a complete mystery when I was talking to the repairman in terms of what was going wrong, the demagnetization of my key cards, as well as in that time of the investigation, two of my devices had been shorted out. One a digital camera to a digital recorder. So, already, I knew that E wasn't very happy that I was there, and to confront her was to also basically see how to transition her, ideally, willingly, though that doesn't always happen, and in a worst-case scenario, to force her out because the very real experience for anyone whether it be for a few hours to sit at the bar whether it be for three days to actually stay at the hotel whether it be five days a week for eight to nine hours as an employee was that every being every human being as well as non-corporeal beings the other two ghosts were being affected by her. And so came that night, this being day four, night four, my last night to investigate, led into now creating a direct line of communication 
E and to have a very interesting conversation and ultimately, in this case, confrontation with her. Now, by and large, I spend most of my time warded. Now, what that means is I focus upon holding a very specific frequency that usually is emitted and held within a certain radius around me. And so I kind of think of it like a ship that plugs through the ocean. I create effectively a wake wherever I go. And this is something that I maintain and that I monitor, not just daily, many times throughout the day. My mornings typically is creating that shield, if you will, and then tuning it to a very specific frequency and then maintaining that frequency throughout the course of the day. Now, when I do that, it more or less keeps things at bay. If you think of those little wrist devices that supposedly keep mosquitoes away, right? It emits a very specific frequency that is present to the insects, though by and large, we are unaware of as human beings. It operates outside of the, the audible or rather decibels that we are able to actually hear. Now, to be able to communicate with E, both this time as well as previously, usually means I got to take down all of my shields. Now, when I have historically done that, I have willed those shields down. However, I have multiple levels and layers of protection. The shield itself, the field, holds a very specific frequency of which the integrity or the range is one that repels often a lot of things that just aren't at that frequency. Again, mosquitoes and um, repulsion device, whatever that would be called. Now, it's not just that. I also have my metaphysical, if you will, uh, dream team, which are always around. This is a different level of awareness that also offers support as well as specific other what I would identify at the time as spells. Now, when I want to take all of that down, part of it is willing it down, is seeing, experiencing, and feeling all of these things that are now turned off. However, when I really want to open things up while turning everything else off, at the time, one of the things that I would do would be to smoke tobacco. Now, I'm not a smoker, so for me to smoke is, uh, at the time, was something that I did specifically with this intention. And so, full on, you know, Gandalf pipe, I'm standing outside of the Hotel Majestic with this big-ass pipe uh, with loose-leaf organic tobacco. And walking around as I do, smoking my pipe as I did, to just bring down everything while simultaneously lowering the integrity of my own, what is called a morphogenetic field, changing the resonant frequency, so that I could be in a state of openness to then open communication with this entity. Now, this is something I do not recommend for most people. Because inevitably, when we are in communication, whether it's a person that we are in relationship with, that we are romantic with, 
whether it's family or in this case, a non-corporeal entity, aka a ghost, then inevitably we face and work with the concept of quantum entanglement. The things that we are in communication with can get knotted through our strands of awareness and inevitably can access then on both sides, not just communication, can also be direct connection, which unless we're really aware of how to clear, to cleanse, and to purify ourselves is highly risky. One thing that can happen, whether we're talking about an entity like this or something like metaphysical bacteria and viruses, is that these types of things can become attachments. Now, what an attachment is, is basically an intelligence, whether it's more sophisticated, like, you know, a ghost, or it could be something that may be more singular in focus and operation, like a bacteria, metaphysical is that they can connect and then embed in our own awareness, in our field of consciousness. Now, very much like an infection, this can be something that affects, impacts, and influences us in everyday life. A little more irritable, a little more reactive, perhaps even a little more emotional than we typically would be. Because what inevitably happens is that these attachments are effectively entities and connect via resonant frequency, which is usually an emotion. And so when we have really traumatic events, we our field, which is often more like a force field than not, opens up. It blips out. It turns off. And when that happens, then the resonant frequency that we're operating at, sadness, anger, shame, whatever that is, can ping out a signal and anything of like frequency can then connect, entangle, and then when our field goes back up, effectively gets stuck. And so very similar like this concept of a grid, our own fields are effectively a bioelectrical grid that can hold shape, form, and energy. Now, all of that though came down. And as it did, finishing off my, my bowl of tobacco, I put my pipe away, walked in through the front doors of the Hotel Majestic, and went up to the room 407. Now, 407, again, was the most, quote-unquote, haunted room. It's where the most experiences had been had by guests and the most disruption water, pooling, pipes, making sounds, uh, as well as personally for me and when my friend A came in to also feel into this experience as well, confirmed that this was where the entity largely resided. And so I opened the door to 407, walking in this now probably around 11 o'clock at night. Lights off. I walk into the room and I sit smack dab in the middle where I felt the strongest energy, and in this case, push. There was a force that was acting upon me. With each step into the room itself, pitch black in darkness, I could feel things, my instincts, everything saying to run, to exit, to get away, that there was a threat 
and a danger that existed in this room. Yet, I continued to walk, smack dab to the middle of the room, and as I stood there, planting my feet, I took a moment to center my attention, to refocus upon my intention. And now with the attention of the entity, I made a declaration that I was here to communicate with the entity known as E, that I was here to support in the transition from this place and am open to a conversation in whatever way, shape, and form it would unfold. Having made that declaration, I sat down in the middle of the room. Cross-legged on the ground, I closed my eyes, still feeling the pressure, the just instinctual fear that was coursing through my body. I breathed slowly, naturally, calming my senses and bringing my awareness back, back, back into me. And in my mind's eye, I saw myself sitting there. I could sense the energy that surrounded me, like a mist that exerted a pressure, an energy, and a force upon my physical as well as metaphysical body. The hairs of my arms standing on edge. I envisioned all of that metaphysical pressure, that density, as it would then begin to coalesce into a figure. What I had imagined E may or may not look like. And as I sat there now with a figure, with a focus point, I began to talk. Now, in these types of experiences, rarely is the response audible. The thing to acknowledge about these types of entities is that there's any number of ways to communicate. For me, in these cases, is sensational, is through direct cognition, a deep knowing of something, and is often visual. And so again, I made my declaration about my intention to transition this entity and immediately felt the fear spike again. I breathed through it. In stating then that I felt that she was trapped, that the other two entities are ready to transition, that ultimately my desire is to do what is best for all and that her presence here was affecting others and had indeed led to the death of another. More pressure, more energy, more density pressed upon my shoulders. Now in these points, when we feel these types of experiences, it's great to take a moment 
to come back to your own intention because what inevitably happens is effectively a battle of wills. E was willing me away. Yet I was clear, connected, and certain of my presence there to be able to support all involved. And in this case, was the transition of this specific entity as she, being able to hold the most amount of energy, was effectively the gatekeeper. And in this key, if the gate then moves into transition, she was the key and ultimately held it as well. So what does that mean then? When you have an entity who does not want a transition, which she definitely did not, she was fighting it, tooth and metaphysical nail, with being able to support in that, I presented again my intention to transition her to allow the other entities to move on as well. Force came in. I met that with my intention, with my clarity and with my will. On the third time then, I provided an ultimatum. Now, one thing to recognize that largely things, when we talk about this interplay of physical and metaphysical can happen in threes. And when stated three times, there is an energy to it. It is not any longer coincidental. It is conscious. And as we infuse our will, as I, in that moment, sitting upon the floor, feeling the metaphysical pressure and density of this entity pressing upon me, I stated for a third time my intention and provided the ultimatum that if she did not decide to willingly transition, then I will transition her. E was pissed. That force that I had felt upon entry, even through the first two declarations, compounded augmented, and was amplified. Her answer was a resounding no. And in that moment, I made clear that my intention was to free all trapped energy in this place, and particularly the other two entities who were being held effectively prisoner by her decision. Slowly I stood up and decided to do the initial cleansing, seeing within my mind's eye the very cords of attachment coming apart, detangling, disentangling, chanting then, toning a specific frequency, infusing my will into the words as I felt my own natural energy begin to radiate more, to expand and to extend like a light, a candle lit within the darkness. I could feel my energy sparked and expand. And I felt then, now layering into my will, 
further energy to clear, to cleanse, using different tools that I utilize for that very sole purpose, and to infuse the frequency of my own self into the workings. And soon I stood there, strong in my place of power and embodying the energy of myself. As I felt then the structures again back into place, as I could feel still a slight sense of pressure yet further away, almost like a voice being called from afar, I turned around and I left room 407. Now, <clears throat> while I'd like to say that everything resolved, that I created my report and reported back to the current manager at the time, all of the different findings, <clears throat> and was given the green light to go through the process of transitioning E, that did not ultimately happen. Ultimately, I had submitted my report to the manager himself, and he passed it on to the owners of the, the Majestic. And I get it. You know, not everyone really is a believer or have had experiences that would speak to the larger, broader universe and the things that are happening well beyond our own awareness. However, what inevitably happened, though, <clears throat> was nothing. The solution was, and at this point, this was the beginning slash middle of May, was to come back in a month's time at the peak and point of light, which would be the summer solstice, June 20th, 21st, and to perform a very specific ceremony and ritual to cleanse the entirety of the hotel. Now, to achieve this meant having to close the hotel for three days. All laid out in my report would require then people effectively to be gone because once the cleansing process, especially with an entity that is so deeply embedded and adverse to being removed, would inevitably create a disruption, like kicking a bee's hive. And so to have people around to actually be present there was a liability. Could mean that someone could be affected and influenced, could also mean that someone could get an attachment. However, to this day, those entities still exist. They continue to compound in energy and more deeply embed in the very fabric of the hotel itself. So unfortunately, while I always aspire to reconcile and to be able to close cases out, this is one that yet remains open. And who's to say whether there will be a time and a place where I'll be able to support in that transition, to be able to help the hotel itself to be clear of such energies, and ultimately be able to allow the liberation of all three entities so that they may move on and beyond to what comes next. For now, I thank you for listening to this podcast. In our next series, we'll be going into another case, which brings things here back to the island of Maui and potential interdimensional travelers 
who have utilized and continue to do so. The woodlands of the island of Maui as a stopping point for their travels. Love and aloha. Take care. And all who we hope. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode today and continuing to walk with me on this path. For more information, follow me on YouTube as well as accessing the show notes on the webpage as well. Both are listed in these show notes. For now, love and aloha. Take care. And ahui hope.